Okay, Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. I've got a lot of good feedback from this teaching lately, uh, a lot of good questions and uh, healthy disagreements. Um, Brother Dan smiling. So uh, that lets me know that you're listening. If you come and say, well, Brother Matthew, I'm not sure about that, and so we can, we can uh, go over that. But I think what we're going to find as we go through this more and more is we're going to find that prophecy is not as difficult as most people make it out to be. It's a lot easier to understand um, when we don't speculate and we let the Bible interpret the Bible. So we'll go to Matthew 24, 1 through 8 um, to begin with. Uh, it says, As Yeshua left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came up and called his attention to the temple buildings, then he replied to them, Don't you see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verses 4 through 8. This is our text tonight. Then Yeshua replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. In the last lesson on the chapter, I dealt with the threefold question of the disciples in verse 3 where they asked Yeshua while they sat on the Mount of Olives, when will these things be? What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now remember what prompted their question was Yeshua's prophetic statements about the destruction of the temple that was standing then. That's what prompted those questions. Yeshua had told the rebellious leaders in Matthew 23, 38, your house is left to you desolate. And then he said in Matthew 24, verse 3, don't you see all these things? I assure you not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. He was prophesying about the destruction of that temple that he just walked out of. And those were strong words. The temple in all of its glory, what was supposed to be Yahweh's house of prayer had become a den of thieves. And it was because of the sins, the transgressions of the law, particularly of the house of Judah, that had corrupted the place that was at one time filled with the presence or the spirit of Yahweh. Yeshua pronounced judgment on Judah in that generation at that time. He said in Matthew twenty-three thirty-six, I assure you all these things will come on this generation. And then he uses that term again in Matthew 24, 34, where he says, I assure you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And here we come to a key that I've mentioned briefly a few times in these lessons. When you read and you study prophecy, you don't always get the, these, but when you do, you need to pay attention. And what I mean is you need to pay attention to the time texts. Oftentimes we get prophecy in the Bible and there is no time text. But when we're given a time text, 
We need to pay attention to it. It's there for a reason. In verses 4 through 8 that we read a moment ago, we have various sign texts. Verses that speak of signs that would come. Signs that the disciples could look for. But in Matthew 23:36 and Matthew 24:34, we have a time text. A time text is put there for a reason, and we are not to ignore it. In this case, the time text is the phrase, this generation. Now, as I've shown in previous lessons, every time, without exception, that Yeshua uses the phrase, this generation, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is always referencing the generation that he is speaking to. Not a generation in times past, not a generation in the future, but the generation that he's speaking to right then. That's what the word generation, or the Greek word genia, means. That is the Greek word behind the word generation. And it means an age or a time period of people. Don't forget the first use of the word genia in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 1.17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were... 14 generations. That's 14 periods of time. The generation of Abraham on down, counting father to son, to the generation of David. Also remember how the word is used in Luke 1 verse 50, where Luke records the Virgin Mary as saying, His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. That's talking about Mary's generation, and then she would have children, and His mercy would be on their generation, and then her grandchildren's generation so long as they feared Yahweh. When Yeshua uses the phrase, this generation, he's referring to the generation alive at that time, the time that he is speaking, the people he is speaking to. That's the generation that he reprimanded, that he scolded all through Matthew 23. Remember, I I taught a lot through Matthew chapter 23, the scribes and the Pharisees, those people that lived at that time. And that's the generation that he said would not pass away until all these things take place. And so we have a time text here. And the time text governs the sign texts. What I mean is that after the disciples ask the threefold question in Matthew 24 verse 3, when will these things be? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? We're then given various sign texts in verses 4 through 33. The time text governs the sign texts. All the signs listed in verses 4 through 33 of Matthew chapter 24 had to have happened before the generation living at that time passed away. And immediately, I've talked with several people since I've been talking about this and teaching on this, and people say, Brother Matthew, you mean to tell me that this happened? How in the world could this have happened? And the only reason that I say that it had to have happened is because Yeshua said, This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And so I decided that I was going to believe what he said, and then I was going to look at the sign text, let the time text govern the sign text, look at the signs and see if I could find where that generation did not pass away until all those signs took place. And I believe that I have found that. He gave us a time reference, and I think that many students of prophecy ignore it or try very difficult or try very hard to get around the potency of Matthew 24, 34. However, not all students of Scripture do. As a matter of fact, the popular views of prophecy today, dispensational, premillennial, rapture teaching, 
are not that old. They only date back to the late 1800s, and they took great hold in the early 1900s from a man by the name of C.I. Schofield in the Schofield Reference Bible. But the further you go back, and this is whether you're dealing with Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, it doesn't matter. The further you go back, you'll see that most of the commentators and pastors and teachers believed that Matthew 24, 34 meant exactly what it said, that the generation that Yeshua spoke to would not pass away until all those signs took place. I'm just going to quote from a few of them here. John Lightfoot lived in the 1600s. He was a Presbyterian. He said this on Matthew 24, 34, quote, Hence it appears plain enough that the foregoing verses are not to be understood of the last judgment, but as we said of the destruction of Jerusalem. End of quote. John Wesley, 1700s, Methodist. Matthew 24, 34, he said this, This generation of men now living shall not pass till all these things be done. The expression implies that great part of that generation would be passed away, but not the whole. Just so it was, for the city and temple were destroyed 39 or 40 years after. What he means by that is, roughly when Yeshua said Matthew 24, 34, it was roughly around 30 A.D. And about 40 years later in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. All the stones that Yeshua told his disciples, do you see these stones? Those stones came tumbling down because of the Roman invasion in the first century there at Jerusalem. A.T. Robertson Late 1800s, early 1900s, Southern Baptist. Matthew 24, 34 says, quote, The problem is whether Jesus is here referring to the destruction of Jerusalem or to the second coming and end of the world. If to the destruction of Jerusalem there was a literal fulfillment. In the Old Testament, a generation was reckoned as 40 years. This is the natural way to take Matthew 24, 34 as of Matthew 24, 33. All things meaning the same in both verses, end of quote. And if you look at Matthew 24, 33 and 34, both of those verses mention the phrase, all things. And they are talking about the same thing. That's the normal way to interpret 33, all things, 34, all things. And it's speaking of all the things that Yeshua is talking about in Matthew chapter 24. Now, I don't quote these men to prove what I'm saying. Anytime we quote commentators, it, does, it never proves what we're saying. However, it's... It's very unlikely that if we're the first one to ever believe something that we're probably not right. We should be able to go back and see how that there have been some people in times past that believe what we now believe. Okay, So I quote these commentators just to show you that there are other men that have taken the position that I'm taking on Matthew chapter 24. They studied the phrase, this generation, and they concluded that that phrase regulates the signs to the first century A.D., between 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. And you know what? This is the great part about this, is that you can prove this to yourself. You don't have to take Brother Matthew's word for it. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to. I want you to study this for yourself as with any subject or doctrine. You should study things for yourself. But all you need to do in regards to this is use a concordance or a Bible computer program or an app on your phone, which that's a great thing now that generations in times past did not have. We have these Bible apps on our phones. And all you have to do is look up the phrase, this generation, 
and look at every context in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when Yeshua uses it, and I guarantee you, you will see without exception that every time he says it, he means the generation that he's speaking to. Most scholars will agree with what I just said, and they'll say, well, every time that Christ uses the phrase this generation in the Gospels, it means the generation that he's speaking to except in Matthew 24, 34. That's what they'll say. Now, if I was to do that on another subject to them, they would say, oh, that's crazy, Matthew. You, you, the term has to be the same. I mean, it's without exception. But yet they do it here. And I believe they do that in order to fit Matthew 24 into a system of interpretation. Let's get rid of our systems of interpretation. We all have them. We just have to be keen of them. We have to know that they're there. And instead of reading the Bible to fit our system, throw away the system and let's try our best to understand the Bible for what it originally said and what it originally meant. So, with the knowledge of the chapters before, specifically Matthew 21 and 23, all this makes complete sense because Yeshua has been scathing the rebellious leaders of Judah that were alive at that time. Remember, they're the tenant farmers who the son was sent to. Remember the parable of the vineyard? The, the husbandman, the owner, sent the, uh, the son to the tenant farmers. They're the tenant farmers that the son was sent to, but what did they do to the son? Threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They rejected the son. They're the builders who rejected the chief cornerstone. They're the sons of their Israelite forefathers who murdered the prophets. And they're the ones that the kingdom was taken away from, Matthew 21, 43. It was all judgment upon the generation alive at that time. And it was because they committed the greatest sin that you could commit, the murder of the Messiah. The Messiah was sent to them, and I know that he's sent to us even now. We hear him preached about, and that's, in a sense, he's sent to us now. But when I say he was sent to them, I mean physically he was actually there walking around, preaching to them, and yet they rejected him. That was a grave sin. That's why Peter on the day of Pentecost preached to the men of Israel that they had rejected and crucified Yeshua. And that's why he tells them to repent and praise Yahweh. 3,000 of them repented on that day. But the majority of them did not. And, but you, you see my point. The judgment was specifically directed towards those people at that time. Now, the disciples asked when it would all happen, and Yeshua told them, when? This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. But the disciples also asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Yeshua begins answering them with sign text. When they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He begins to answer them with sign text, beginning in verse 4. Now, as we venture into verses 4 through 8 of Matthew 24, I want you to try to place yourself in the sandals of the disciples. Remember, they're the ones that were sitting with him on the Mount of Olives. They're right there with him as he's talking. They're the ones who heard him rant, his righteous rant, in the temple against rebellious Judah. They're the ones who heard him say that the temple would be destroyed, and they are the ones who asked him the questions in Matthew 24, 3. So we will not understand Matthew 24 unless we try our best to get ourselves in the sandals of the disciples who asked him the question that day, and then he looked at them with his eyes, 
and responded directly to their question, talking to them. In verse 4, we read, Yeshua replied to them, follow the pronouns as we read, he replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Now, when they heard Yeshua say that, who do you think that they thought that he was talking to? Well, if you were standing there asking Yeshua these questions and he looked at you and said, watch out that no one deceives you, Marine, or you, Rocket, or you, TJ, who would you think that he was talking to? Well, you would think that he was talking to you. Now, that seems like a simple point, but it's very powerful if you follow these pronouns in Matthew chapter 24. That doesn't mean that we, living now, cannot learn principles from Matthew 24. But specifically, he was talking to the people that asked him the question, his disciples. That does not mean, catch this, this is an important point, that does not mean that there are no deceivers today. There have been deceivers in every generation. The generations before Christ, the generations after Christ. But that's not what Matthew 24 is about. Matthew 24 isn't about every generation. It's about that generation. And Yeshua was telling his disciples to watch out that no one deceives you, not us you, but them you. They were to be on guard. Why were they to be on guard? For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Yeshua is talking about false messiahs, or more correctly, if we translate the word messiah, false anointed ones, claiming to be anointed, coming to them. And that's why he said to them, watch out, my disciples, that no one deceives you. Verses 4 and 5 are linked, and they're talking about the same thing. He tells his disciples that there will be many come in his name saying, I am anointed, or I am messiah. I am Christ, some Bibles may say, and they will deceive many. So, my disciples, be careful to watch out for them. Now, come in my name here does not mean that the people would come in the name Yeshua or Yahweh. That's not what this verse means. Name here is a reference to the title Messiah or anointed one. That's the name that the deceivers would come in. They would come claiming to be the anointed one, and they would deceive many. Again, that doesn't mean that there cannot be deceivers who come claiming to be anointed in later generations. We've had them in the 1900s, and they're a dime a dozen in the 21st century. But that's not what Matthew 24 is about. Matthew 24 is not about deceivers in our generation. Matthew 24 is about deceivers in that generation. Yeshua is talking to his disciples about what would happen before their generation passed away. Did false anointed ones come in that generation and deceive many? Absolutely. But that shouldn't surprise us because Yeshua said, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, Matthew 24, 34. And one of the easiest places to see these signs actually happening is the Bible. And here's where we're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Remember, it's its best own interpreter. And after Yeshua was crucified, resurrected, and he ascended, went up into heaven, we have a history book of the early church in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's the book that comes just after the, the four Gospels. When we research the book of Acts, we find evidence of the signs that Yeshua said would happen. And they happen right there in the first century. For example, Acts 8, 9 through 11, we read of one of these deceivers, and his name was Simon. Some people call him Simon Magus. Acts 8, beginning at verse 9, 
A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city, the city of Samaria, when you look at verses 4 through 8, and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of the Almighty. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. When the disciples ran into Simon, they would have remembered Yeshua's words, Watch out that no one deceives you. This Simon was known as the great power of the Almighty, but he was deceiving many in the city of Samaria. In the book of Acts, we read of another false prophet sorcerer known as Elamus. In Acts 13, 6-8, we read, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, they came across a sorcerer, a Judahite false prophet. He was the proconsul, or he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the Almighty's message. But Elamus, the sorcerer, which is how his name is translated, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here's another deceiver. And notice that both of these men, Simon in Acts 8 and Elamus in Acts 13, they were able to perform signs and wonders through their sorceries. And that not only aligns with Matthew 24, 4 through 5, but also Matthew 24, 24, where in that block of Scripture, in Matthew 24, Yeshua says, false anointed ones and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Well, this is one of the signs Yeshua told his disciples, watch out for. And the book of Acts is a historical record of some of these false anointed ones and false prophets. But not only do we see this in the book of Acts, we see this in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18, where John, writing to his first century audience, they received this epistle from John, and they read it in the first century, and John told them, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, Antichrist is coming even now. Many Antichrists have come. Antichrist simply means against or instead of the true Messiah. John, writing to them, says, We know from this that it is the last hour. It has to be the last hour of something. And I present to you that it's the same as the end of the age that the disciples asked about, not the end of the world as we know it, but the end of that particular age, that old covenant age. John told the recipients of his epistle that it was the last hour then when he wrote that letter. He also said, even now, many antichrists have come. And that's how they can know that it's the last hour. Well, that aligns perfectly with what Yeshua said about deceivers, false anointed ones, and false prophets being a sign of the end of the age. John knew it was the last hour when he wrote his epistle. The sign text that Yeshua gave in Matthew 24 about false prophets was happening right then. The main point here is that Yeshua is addressing his disciples in Matthew 24. He gives them warning signs. Let's move on to verse 6. He tells them, You will hear of wars, and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. And the end that he speaks of in verse 6 is the end of the age. Verse 3, the question they asked about. Notice the you. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
not us you, but them you. The you is the disciples that he's talking to. You know, every generation, if you study history, every generation since the first century generation has heard of wars and rumors of wars. But that's not what Yeshua is talking about in Matthew 24. He's instructing his disciples that they would hear of wars and rumors of wars. And it's interesting that Flavius Josephus, a first century Judahite historian that wrote of the history of the Judahite or Israelite peoples, one of his works is called The Wars of the Jews or The Wars of the Judahites. You can read his historical account and you'll see in Josephus wars and rumors of wars from 30 to 70 A.D. They existed back in the first century and it shouldn't surprise us because Yeshua told his disciples they would hear about wars and rumors of wars. But notice at the end of verse 6, he says these things must take place, but the end is not yet. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. It's funny how people today in in the 21st century hear of wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, and think that these are all signs that the end is upon us or that it's getting closer to us now. And they think it's talking about the end of humanity, the end of the world. But Yeshua says in verse 6 to his disciples, these are things that had to take place in that generation, but they were not a sign of the end. He said, but the end is not yet. These things have to happen, but it's not a sign of the end. The end is not yet. I'll mention that here more in Briefly, as Yeshua says in verse 8, all these events are the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pains for them, not for us. I get an email from a guy, it was unsolicited, I don't know how I got on his email list, but at the, at the beginning or the header of his email, every time he sends multiple ones every week, it says Matthew 24 birth pains and he talks about things going on in the world now. And he tries to link things together. And what I think a lot of people do is they interpret the Bible by the newspaper or by the news. They see something taking place in the news and they read that back into the Bible. I would suggest that we read the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible and not go on every whim and notion that you know man does today. The context is about that particular generation. And I want you to notice that nothing is said here. He does mention... Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and things like that. But nothing is said here in this text about the frequency of wars or the potency of earthquakes. People today will say things like this. Well, Brother Matthew, the earthquakes are getting more numerous and the earthquakes are getting more stronger. This is a sign that we're getting closer to the end. But the Bible never says anything like that. Never, never says anything like that. There's nothing in this text that talks about more frequent or stronger earthquakes. There's also nothing in Matthew 24 that talks about the end of the world. Only the end of the age that's being spoken of. Number one, Yeshua is talking about wars, famines, and earthquakes before that generation passed away. And number two, he does not say anything about stronger earthquakes or more potent wars. He just says wars and earthquakes would happen. And these things will be the beginning of the birth pain. He likens the signs to a woman that's in labor. That's literally what that reads. The HCSB does it great when it says the beginning of birth pains. I think some Bibles say travail, but literally it's talking about birth pains here. He likens it to a woman in labor. 
the signs in verses 4 through 8 are the beginning of the birth pains. As the birth pains increase, it does not mean that earthquakes will get stronger and wars will get worse. It means that the signs will move from those things to something different. And we'll see Yeshua gives two main signs of the end of the age in verses 14 and 15. In verse 14, he gives the sign that this gospel of the kingdom must be preached into all the world as a witness, and then the end will come. And that's one of the verses that people say, surely you don't believe that that happened. I will show in a, in a future message from the Bible, I'll only use the Bible, and I will show you that verse 14 in Matthew 24 has already taken place. It's already been fulfilled. And then in verse 15, which is the imminent sign, where he tells his disciples, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place that Daniel the prophet spoke of, then let him which is in Judea flee to the mountains. I'll show from the Bible that that already took place and what the abomination of desolation is. And we can do all this. We don't have to watch the news or read the newspaper. We can do it all from just studying and reading the scriptures. And they'll interpret themselves. Now, as I close out this lesson, let me just point out to you again that the historical scriptural book of Acts lists famines and earthquakes in the first century. That shouldn't surprise us, should it, though? Because Yeshua said this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Look at Acts chapter 11, 27 through 29. It says, In those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. When you read the book of Acts and the epistles in the New Testament, you'll see that this famine is spoken of all through the New Testament. It's a severe famine. What did Yeshua say would happen before that generation passed away? Famine. That's one of the things he said would come as a sign. Both the historian Josephus and the Christian historian Eusebius in their history write about this famine that Luke mentions in the book of Acts. Josephus writes about this famine in Acts chapter 11 in his Antiquities of the Judahites, book 20, chapter 2, and he says, Josephus says, that this famine was so severe in Jerusalem that many people died because of lack of food there in the first century. What Yeshua prophesied about was taking place. Along with famine often comes pestilence. Some manuscripts of Matthew 24, verse 7, mention famines and pestilence, along with famine as one of the beginning of the birth pain signs. Albert Barnes writes, this about the pestilence that occurred in the first century in his commentary on Matthew 24, verse 7. Albert Barnes says, quote, Raging epidemic diseases, the plague sweeping off multitudes of people at once. It is commonly the attendant of famine and often produced by it. A pestilence is recorded as raging in Babylonia in A.D. 40. He mentions Josephus in Antiquities 18, 9, and 8. In Italy in A.D. 66, and he mentions the historian Tacitus, 1613, both of these took place before the destruction of Jerusalem. And what about the earthquakes? Was there earthquakes that happened in that generation before that generation passed away? Well, all we have to do is just read the Bible. 
And the Bible will let us know that earthquakes happened before that generation passed away, just like Yeshua said there would be. I'll give you two references. We won't read them. You can write them down and read them yourself. In Matthew 27, 51 through 54, it is recorded that at the death of Yeshua, when Yeshua died on the cross, the earth quaked and the rocks were split and tombs, tombs that people were dead in, opened up and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised from death. That happened in the first century. And then in Acts chapter 16, Brother TJ mentioned this in testimony service, verses 25 through 26, we find that Paul and Silas were locked up in a jail in Philippi, and they were praying and singing hymns to Yahweh. And all of a sudden, there was, the Bible says, a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the jail, and all the cell doors opened up, and everyone's chains came loose. So, there were wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes that happened in the first century, just like Yeshua prophesied that would happen. But, as Yeshua said, don't forget, when He said that to His disciples in verse 6, He said, these things must take place, but the end is not yet. These are preliminary signs. There's going to be bigger signs. As we go on in Matthew 24, we'll, we'll get to those two signs like I mentioned before. One author named John L. Bray, in his book on Matthew 24, Fulfilled, page 27, he, he writes this, quote, These earthquakes did not prove the end was imminent. Contrarywise, as Jesus said, all of those things prove that the end is not yet. 24 verse 6. Modern-day prophets ought to keep this in mind, too, as they keep on talking about how many more earthquakes there are and how much more destructive they are, etc., as though all this proves it cannot be long now until Jesus comes. What Jesus was trying to say is that these things must be and do not prove a thing so far as indicating the end was at hand. But preaching and teaching about earthquakes being another sign of the soon coming of Christ makes for good preaching and tickles people's ears even though it does not prove one thing so far as God's word is concerned in the matter of prophecy, end of quote. See, Yeshua told them then that even in their day about the end of the age that was happening before that generation passed away, he gave these sign texts in verses 4 through 8, but these sign texts in verses 4 through 8, does, they don't prove anything in regards to the end. These things must happen, but the end is not yet. And they would happen. All of those things would happen in their generation. They were the beginning of birth pains. The stronger, more intense labor pains would come. Not stronger famines, not more intense earthquakes, but the bigger pains would be different signs that would be stronger and more intense. Specifically the sign of verses 9 through 13, verse 14 and verse 15. One of the stronger signs would be the severe persecution of believers in Yeshua of Nazareth. And that's what I want to talk about next time, next week, in verses 9 through 13 of Matthew chapter 24. And you'll have time to read over these verses in your study time this week. And I would ask you, as you read over Matthew 24, 9 through 13, when you, when you look at that, read that and then move into the book of Acts. And you see if you can find a historical account where believers in Yeshua in the book of Acts suffered severe persecution. And you will find it because it is not difficult to find. 
9 through 13 was fulfilled all through the book of Acts where people were whipped, skin coming off of their bodies, put in prison, stoned to death, brought before councils, brought before Sanhedrins, all because of their belief that Yeshua the Messiah, Yeshua was the promised Messiah in the book of Acts there. So we'll pick that, Yahweh's will, we'll pick that back up next week. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I love you and I appreciate all that you do for us. Father, as we move out into the work week, I, I ask that you keep us in your word and give us a desire to understand your word more and more, better and better, each and every day that we live. I pray, Father Yahweh, that we would never be satisfied, but we would continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Only a thirsty man looks for water. Only a hungry man looks for food. And I pray, Father, that we would be that hungry and thirsty man and woman. And we would continue to look in your word for the answers. I pray, Father Yahweh, my hope and my prayer is that through these lessons from the Bible that it would guard people against being led astray by the many prophetic prognosticators of this day and time. They came last year. The things they said would happen did not happen. Here we are in this year, and they still peddle their material and, and make a lot of money off of their items. And Father Yahweh, I pray that you would put it in the hearts and the minds of the people here to, uh, to believe your word and trust in your word and not be led astray by all these people today. Father, help us. Keep us humble. Let us remain teachable, Father Yahweh. We'll give you praise and glory for it. For you, There's nothing that we have that we didn't receive from you. And so we can't boast about it as though we didn't receive it. We received it from you, Yahweh, and, and we can only boast in you. Um, so we thank you. I pray these things to you, Father Yahweh, through your Son, Yeshua.